Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. I tell you what, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is the anthem of heaven. I hope you know that that's what we're told in Revelation chapter 4. That is and will be the anthem of heaven. If you got a Bible with you, I want you to grab it and go with me to the New Testament book of James and find James chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to greet folks across the street, the video venue, and folks who are joining us online this morning. What a great weekend this has been. What a beautiful, beautiful holiday weekend this is. And we've had some great experiences together in church this morning and last night. And I know we'll do the same right now. This is the third week of a special series we're involved in called What If? And uh, the question we're asking this morning or this weekend, the specific question is, what if I took control of my words? Uh, It's a powerfully practical and relevant message that all of us needs to hear. Uh, And uh, just to avoid any confusion as we get into our text in James chapter 3 and some other passages we're going to look at, oftentimes in your Bible, when when you read about your words or your speech, the Bible uses the word the tongue, okay? And so just to avoid any confusion there, when the Bible talks about the tongue, it's a reference to our words or our speech. We'll see that really clearly here in uh, James chapter 3. And I want to tell you this morning that of all the things we've talked about so far in this series and all the things that we will talk about, we began by talking about uh, the question, what if I were more thankful? And last week we talked about what if I took control of my thoughts? And we've got some great messages to come, but of all the things we'll be talking about in this series, this might just be the most difficult, this whole idea of taking control of our words. And I say that for a number of reasons, but mostly because the Bible just really makes it clear how difficult this is. In fact, look at this verse from James chapter 3 and verse 8. We'll read this in just a moment, but look at what James says about the tongue. Read this with me. Let me hear your voices. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That means exactly what it says. No one can tame the tongue. No one. But what I want you to understand this morning, what I hope you'll leave with, is that we can, with the right kind of effort, we can learn how to control our tongues. And when we do that, we can use our tongues, our words, to experience the blessing of God and the power of God in our lives, which is something that I know all of us want to experience. And this is so important. In fact, learning how to control your tongue, learning how to control your words is an absolute necessity for the Christian life because the Bible in many different places links the reality of our profession, the reality of our faith with the words that we speak, with the way we use our tongue, with what comes out of our mouth. It's very, very serious. In fact, look at these words from James chapter 1. This isn't a part of our text, but in chapter 1 and verse 26, James says, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. That's strong language, isn't it? He says it's worthless. Now, the word that James uses there for religion is the Greek word threskos, and it just means someone who is a worshiper of God, someone who worships God in the sense of you stand in awe and wonder before God like we just sang, like someone who trembles in the presence of God. And so what that means, let's just throw out the word religious for a moment. I don't like that word. It means too many different things to too many different people. Let's just throw that out. And so what James is saying is if you consider yourself to be a worshiper of God, I mean, you love God, you reverence God, you live in awe of God, then you need to take control 
of your tongue or else your profession, what was the word that he used? He said it's worthless. This is a really big deal. This is not an option for you and me as Christians, the control of our tongue. This is a requirement and a spiritual discipline, and that's what makes this lesson so important. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with my tongue. I have a hard time controlling my tongue. In part, it's not my fault. I just have so many clever things that I can say, it's hard to keep them in sometimes. But I, I mean, I, I, this, this kind of message is deeply convicting for me, and so I take a little bit of comfort in knowing that I'm not alone in that, and even some of the greatest characters of the Bible had moments when they had difficulty controlling their tongues and their words. And the Bible says in the Old Testament about Moses that there was no one like him. God said there's nobody like him. God, the relationship God had with Moses was, was unique and special. Moses was, a, was, a, was a, a, a godly, righteous man. And yet, look at this passage from Psalm 106, verses 32 and 33. It says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. Rash words came from Moses' lips. Now, that's a reference to an event that happened back in the book of Numbers where as Moses was leading the children of God, they were rebelling, and Moses lost his temper, lost control, and it came out of his mouth. Has that ever happened to you? It happens to all of us. That's an Old Testament example. How about in the New Testament, the apostle Peter? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, that's, I didn't put that on the, all the words on the screen because it's too long a passage, but that, of course, is the passage that tells from Matthew's gospel about Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. But that certainly wasn't the only time Peter had difficulty controlling his tongue. This is not just a really big deal for all of us, folks. This is so very difficult. Here's an interesting thing. In Romans chapter 3, don't turn there. But in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, as he writes, is characterizing the sinfulness of man. And if I were going to summarize it, he was basically making the point that because of our sin, none of us on our own, based solely on our own merit, what we have to offer, none of us are right with God. In fact, he even goes so far in Romans 3.10 to say, there is no one righteous, no, not one. He says that a little bit later, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's characterizing the reality of sin in our lives and that none of us, because of sin, none of us on our own are right with God. And then in verses 13 through 15, he lists five different parts of the body that are our most common vehicle for sin. Listen to what he says. He says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Now notice that four of the five things are related to what? our speech, the words that we say. That's not a coincidence. That's just another reminder of how incredibly, incredibly difficult it is for people like you and me to control our tongues, to control our words. Let me just ask you this question this morning. I probably could have skipped everything in the introduction and gone right to this. Has anybody here, anybody listening to me today ever gotten yourself in trouble by something that you said? How do you think Ryan Lochte would answer that question this morning? We have. We have. So let's just agree together by way of beginning that we're all in this together this morning, right? Because this is a struggle for all of us, and it's really, really critical. This is something James clearly understood. There are five chapters in the book of James, and five different times in James he writes about the tongue, including this extended passage in James chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles open there, stand with me this morning in reverence and respect for God's Word. 
Uh, I invite you, uh, if you're joining us online, uh, to go ahead and stand with us as well. We do this every weekend. We make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service. Follow along, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, there it is. You can be seated. May God add His blessing to that reading and hearing of His Word. And here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to talk to you about two things. Uh, the first thing I'm going to talk to you about will be based on an exposition or explanation of those verses we just read. The second thing will be a little bit more practical, and we'll base that on some selected scriptures uh, in primarily the book of Proverbs. But if you're taking notes, once you write down next to number one, I'm going to make this real simple. This is not clever. I'm going to make this first point this, a biblical explanation. We're talking about taking control of our words or our tongues. Let's have a biblical explanation of that. Uh, in those verses we just read, James talks to us about the power of the tongue or the power of our words by telling us that the tongue, our words, have the power to do three things. But before I tell you those three things, let's just talk about those first two verses for a moment. When James began by saying, not many of you should presume to be teachers, uh, James is in no way condemning or criticizing teaching ministry, the teaching ministry of the Scriptures. He's just warning his readers against the desire to do that without carefully weighing the cost because he tells us that teachers of the truth of God will be judged more strictly than others. And it's because we are teaching the truth, not the truth of the world, not the truth defined by anybody in the world, but the truth that is defined by God who is truth. This is a serious and sober thing, something that I think about all the time. I know any pastor who preaches and teaches does as well. We are going to be judged more strictly. We're going to be held to a different level of accountability. Think of it like this. When you sin in with your tongue in private, that's one thing. When you sin with your tongue in public, that's another thing altogether. And the condemnation is great. The potential of condemnation is great for someone who would misguide or mislead someone else when it comes to the truth of God's Word. That's why anytime anybody comes to me and they say, Pastor, I think God might be calling me into the ministry. One of the things I make sure that I say to them is if you feel like that's true, then you need to spend some time and effort in training. You need to learn the Scriptures. I'm not saying that God can't use somebody in ministry who doesn't have a Bible college or a seminary education, but I'm saying this, if you're going to stand up in front of other people, open up the Scriptures, and presume to tell them the truth of God's Word, you better know what you're talking about. 
I'm not an expert. I, it, this is why studying the Bible is an important thing to me. Any preacher would say the same thing. This is a big deal. So James says, before you do that, be very, very careful. I also, every time I read that, I'm reminded of one of my favorite preacher jokes, and I'm going to tell it this morning, and you may have heard it before, but you be polite and laugh even if you have. <laughs> Stories told about a preacher. He's a preacher for 30 years. One day he was rummaging around the house, and this is an old joke. One day he was rummaging around the house, and he found a box that he'd never found before. He opened it up, and inside the box were the strangest things, three eggs and $300 in $1 bills. Three eggs and $300 in $1 bills. So he went and found his wife, and he showed her the box and said, what in the world is this? And you could tell she was visibly upset that he had found her special box. So she stuttered and stammered for a couple of minutes, and then finally she just told him, she said, well, listen, over the 30 years we've been together, every time you preached a bad sermon, I put an egg in that box. It kind of took him a second to think about it, but then he was pretty happy with himself because he thought three eggs, 30 years, that's a pretty good percentage for me. And he said, well, what about the $300? And she said, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them to the neighbor for a dollar. <laughs> All right, let's do a little bit of exposition of this text this morning. James tells us the tongue, our words are powerful because they have the power to do three things. First of all, the tongue has the power to direct your life. That's number one. The tongue has the power to direct your life. And you see that really in verses 3 through the first part of verse 5. Remember, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. I don't think this requires a lot of explanation this morning, folks. It's pretty simple. You know, the, a bit in the mouth of a horse has the power to direct the horse. A rudder on a ship has the power to direct the ship. And in the same way, our tongues, our words, have the power to direct our lives. I'm sure that you would agree with me about that. The words we speak can direct the course and the direction of our lives. That's one of the reasons why we have to be very careful and take control of our tongues and our words. Let me give you an example. Look at these words on the screen from David in Psalm 141. Now, let me give you the context of the whole psalm. David is writing about his desire to live a righteous life, a holy life before God. He wants to be pleasing before God. And so in this psalm, he includes a prayer, and this is a part of the prayer. He says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Now, I think it's safe to say that David understood that his words had the power to direct his life, that his words had the power or the potential to lead him into sin. And so, that's why after he wrote, set a guard over my mouth, after he wrote, keep watch over the door of my lips, he said, let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Our words, our tongues have the power to direct our lives. How many times do we get ourselves in trouble through the things that we say? How many times do our words direct us down a path of trouble? It happens all the time, maybe on a, on a small level, maybe on a large level, but it happens all the time. Let's get real practical. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, that verse is telling us that it's not just the words we say that have power, but it's the way we say them that have power as well. The way we say the words that we do can direct the course of our lives. Words and our tongue have the power to direct our lives. Second, that, that was pretty simple. Second, James tells us that the tongue has the power, has the power to destroy your life. 
The tongue has the power to destroy your life, and this is a pretty big deal, so we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about it. And I see that. We pick it up in verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 down through verse 8. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue has the power to destroy your life. And he illustrates that by talking about how a fire, even a fire that started by nothing more than a small spark, can destroy a large forest. It's the same way with the tongue because the tongue, he says, is a restless evil full of deadly poison and it can destroy your life. You know, the part of, the, the part of that little section of James 3 that really stands out to me is, is verse 6. In verse 6, he gets real descriptive about the tongue. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now look up here for a moment. Honestly, we could probably spend 30 minutes just talking about that part of that verse. That's so, that's so intense there. It's so true. But one of the things that really stands out to me is his use of the word course there when he says uh, the whole course of his life. He says that it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. What do you think James means exactly when he says the whole course of his life? Well, here's what I think it means. I, I, I tried to study this, and I turned it over in my mind a little bit, and this is the most practical thing that I could come up with. I think what James is telling us is that our tongues, our words, have the power to create a chain reaction in our lives. And in this context, it's not good it's a negative chain reaction. Has that ever happened to you? You've said something or you've been around somebody who said something and it just started a chain reaction. And one thing after another after another happened and none of it, none of it was good. One person was hurt. Then another person was hurt. One relationship was damaged. Then another relationship was lost. And it just goes on and on and on. Our tongues, our words have the power to destroy our lives because they can create a chain reaction that's really bad that has a devastating and a destructive effect and impact on our lives. And James says that the tongue can be can set the whole course of our lives on fire because it's set on fire by hell. In other words, I would, I'm going to make, say it like this. Your tongue, your words have the potential to create a negative chain reaction that makes all hell break loose. I'm sure we've all been there on some level. Makes all hell break loose. Interesting. The word that James uses for hell here is the Greek word Gehenna. Literally translated means valley of Hinnom. It's the only time this word Gehenna is used in the New Testament outside of what's called the synoptic gospels. And I think James uses it because he wants to be so, so descriptive about just how vile and how, how, how filthy and, and how disgusting the tongue can sometimes be, can have the potential to be. Gehenna was a place, uh, was, a, was, a, or was a based on the, a valley that was southwest of, or a gorge rather, that was southwest of Jerusalem where they burned all their trash. They burned the bodies of dead animals. They burned the bodies of executed criminals. It was disgusting. It was every kind of disgusting thing was thrown into that and it was constantly on fire and it was just filled with disease and, and every incredibly distasteful thing you can think of. And that's the word that he uses to describe the power and potential that's associated with the tongue, 
Satan and Satan's forces, he's telling us, have the ability to fulfill their purposes by polluting and corrupting and destroying the people and relationships through the words that we speak. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. The, the tongue has the power to destroy your life. But not just your life. The tongue also, let's take it a step further. The tongue also has the power to destroy the lives of other people as words because sometimes it's not just the damage that we receive from uh, the misuse of our tongue or our words. It's the damage that other people receive in their lives as well. That's why Proverbs 21, 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. I read a story a long time ago that kind of illustrates the power that the tongue can have to destroy the lives of other people. Uh, it's a true story. It's a kind of a bizarre story. It's an old story. It says, uh, in 1899, four newspaper men from Denver, Colorado, found themselves meeting by chance on a Saturday night in the Denver Railway Depot. Their names, because it's a true story, their names were Al Stevens, Jack Turney, John Lewis, and Hal Wilshire. They represented four Denver newspapers, the Post, the Times, the Republican, and the Rocky Mountain News. They were at the home, they were, they were tasked with the responsibility of finding a lead story for the Sunday edition of their papers, and they were at the railway depot just hoping they might run into somebody famous or something might happen that would spark a story. Eventually, they got together, they shared their dilemma, and they ended up in a hotel bar, and they started drinking together. And as they continued to drink through the evening, one of them finally said, well, why don't we just write a fake story? And the longer they drank, the better the idea sounded. And so they began to discuss how that might look. They said, we can't write a fake or false domestic story because it'd be too easy to do the fact-checking. So let's write a story about another part of the world. They decided China was distant enough to write about, and so they wrote a false story that said the Chinese government was making plans to demolish the Great Wall of China. And they said that they knew that this was true because in the railway depot, they ran into some American engineers who were on their way to China to bid for that job. So they wrote the story knowing that it was completely false, and it was on the front cover of all of their newspapers. It was picked up by newspapers around the country and eventually newspapers abroad. When the Chinese learned that the Americans were sending men to tear down what many of them considered to be their national monument, they were indignant and enraged. One group in particular, a group of secret society members who were Chinese patriots who hated the idea of any kind of foreign involvement or intervention were really angry and inspired and outraged by the story, they ended up attacking foreign embassies in China and murdering hundreds of foreign missionaries. And it was all just a big lie. Words have the power to destroy your life and the lives of others. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. That's why writing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James spent this time talking about the power of the tongue. Third, write this down. Third, first of all, it has the power to direct your life. It has the power to destroy your life. The third thing James tells us is the tongue has the power to display your life to display your life or to put the reality of your life on display. And we see that in verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Again, I don't think this requires a lot of explanation. 
What he says is really clear. He's saying how ridiculously inconsistent we can be with the way we use our tongue. On the one hand, we can praise God. On the other hand, we can curse men who've been made in the image of God. And maybe the most telling thing that James says in that part of the text is he says, my brothers, this should not be. Why? Because if our lives have really been changed by Christ, let me say it like this, if our hearts have really been changed by Christ, if our hearts really belong to Christ, then there won't be this kind of inconsistency. Because just like a salt water, or excuse me, a salt spring cannot, or excuse me, just like salt water can't flow from a freshwater spring, or fig trees can't bear olive, or grapevines can't bear figs, our tongues, when they're controlled by our hearts that belong to Christ, can't be filled, can't be used to curse one another, but only to praise God. And if we've got a problem with the way we use our tongue and the words that we speak, then it's a much deeper issue than just our tongues because what we really have is a heart problem. And so this is what really strikes me. This is what really slaps me in the face when I think about how difficult a time I sometimes have controlling my tongue because what the Bible is telling me is it's a heart problem with me. It's the same with you. Look at these words on the screen from Matthew chapter 12. Verse 34, he says, For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. What's inside of you is going to come out of you. What you speak displays the reality of who you are. Let me ask you this question. This makes it real practical for all of us. You ever been in a situation where you have said to somebody something that was really inappropriate or something that was mean-spirited or something that was hurtful, and it didn't take too much time before you realized that you shouldn't have done that? And so you went to them in uh, humility and you said, listen, I'm so sorry I said that And then you followed it up by saying something like this, that's not who I am. You ever done that? That's not me. I don't know where that came from. Well, here's the truth. That is you, at least on some level, according to the Scriptures, because the words that we speak put on display the reality of who we are. Now, it might might very well be that that's not who you want to be, not who you aspire to be, but at least on some level in that moment, that's who you were. The person who spoke those mean-spirited or hateful or inappropriate or hurtful words. Our words tell the truth about who we are. Our words reveal our hearts. And so if we got a problem with the way we speak, we got a heart problem. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person with a critical tongue has a bitter heart. And you can go on and on and on. And so James, in a masterful way, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, shares with us clearly the power of the tongue. All right, real quickly, right down next to number 2. That's a biblical explanation that talks about the reality of the tongue or our words right down next to number two, a biblical plan. And let me just give you some practical things that can maybe help us take some steps towards controlling our tongues. First, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining any of these because I don't think it's necessary first. Don't say everything you think. That's where I live, right there, folks. Don't say everything you think. Sometimes the best and the wisest thing you can do is just to keep your mouth shut. Proverbs affirms that. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of a righteous man weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Someone once said, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. You don't have to say everything you think. 
Second, don't say everything you know. Sometimes that's not appropriate. Proverbs 17, 27 says, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Don't say everything you know. I was with a couple of guys the other day, and, and we were talking about somebody that we all knew in common, and one of the guys I was with had just met this, this man, and he was talking about what a blessing it was and all the good things that came from that meeting and how encouraged he was, and the other guy was with us immediately spoke up and said, yeah, but did you know that he and then some, something pretty negative about him that just was absolutely not necessary. It just took away from the moment. Not necessary. Wasn't some kind of a morality issue. Wasn't saying he was evil or something like that. Just, just we all have struggles, right? Wasn't necessary. You don't have to say everything that you know. I mean, we need to speak words that protect people that we love and care about and guide people that we love and care about, but there are times when you don't have to say everything that you know. Third, don't repeat everything you hear. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he who covers up an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Let me summarize it all with number four, with the fourth thing. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Here's one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Proverbs chapter 19, or 10 and verse 19. Look at it. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Oh, it's so true, isn't it? Somebody say amen to that. When words are many, sin is not absent. Several, you know my wife, Sandy, she's the sweetest thing in the world. She's very quiet. She, she's a very submissive spirit, very humble. She's just a perfect wife for me, and uh, we spend a lot of time together, and we play golf together. We enjoy playing golf together, and uh, we, we do that when we go on vacation. We travel different places. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of great memories. Several years ago, and I'm her golf instructor because she, just because of her attitude and spirit, she doesn't get frustrated when I tell her how to play. Anyway, several years ago, <laughs> several years ago, she was still kind of just learning how to play golf, and we were out, and I was trying to kind of coach her up one time, and, and she was not, she was struggling, and I was, you know, honestly, to be honest, I was just being a jerk. I was just getting frustrated. I wanted her to do well, and I was just getting frustrated, and I wasn't controlling my tongue and my words very well, and so, uh, you know, I was just, you know, just being a jerk, honestly. And one point, she, she, she got up, she addressed her ball, she was getting ready to hit, and I'm over here, and I'm yak, 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 and, and I had this aha moment where I just stopped and realized, man, I am being a jerk, I am just being a jerk. And so I just kind of stopped, and she just stood there over her ball, head down, never looked up, and I said, well, aren't you going to say anything? And she just stood there over her ball, addressed her ball, never looked up, never looked at me, and she just said very calmly, when words are many, sin is not absent. She Bibled me right there on the golf course. <laughs> it was a smackdown right, right, right from the pages of the Bible. But it's true, and God bless her, she's spiritually mature enough to know that it wasn't the right time to say anything because when words are many, sin is not absent. So important, so important. But listen, taking control of your tongue is not just about making sure you don't say the wrong things. It's also making sure that when you have the opportunity, you say the right things. Proverbs 18, 21, look at the words on the screen. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, we've already talked about the death part because of that passage in James. Let's just close by talking about the truth that the tongue has the power 
of life. Let me ask you a question. In fact, I'll just give you this assignment. Sometime today, maybe tomorrow on your Labor Day holiday, sometime in the next 24 hours or so, I want you to stop and I want you to try to think about the nicest thing anybody ever said to you. Now, that might be hard if you're a little older, because I tried to think of this, and I, I thought of lots of things, and I couldn't really pare it down to what I thought the nicest thing was. But try to think of the nicest thing that anybody ever said to you. And when you remember it, let it flow through your mind and remind you of how that just breathed life into your heart and your soul. Because this is what our words have the power to do. They have the power of life. I couldn't remember the nicest thing anybody ever said to me, so I thought I'd try to remember the most recent nice thing somebody ever said to me. And it wasn't said in words. It was said in a note I got in the mail. Um, several weeks ago, I got uh, a, a note from a dear, dear couple in Houston, Texas that I've known since I was 17 years old. My family first moved to Texas. My family moved to Texas in 1975. I had one year of high school left, and I was so unhappy and so, so sullen and sad that I had to move away from everything that was familiar and go just one last year of high school, a big high school, much larger than the one that I had gone to previously. And my mother, on the first Sunday I was there, took me to this church, and I met these people, this couple who were youth coaches, and they, for whatever reason, they just decided that they were going to love me, that they were going to surround me, support me, minister to me, encourage me, and they made a huge difference in my life. Not paid staff members, just two volunteers at the church serving teenagers. And they did that for the entire time I was there. They did that when I was through college. When I got out of college, I went back to Houston, and I was a youth minister at that same church for about a year and a half, because I never really wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be a preacher. And they were there, and they continued just to pour into my life. And then when I started, planted my first church in 1982, I was 23 years old. There were 30 people, and they were two of the 30 people. So I remember that first meeting. We were just in a school classroom, and they were sitting right there on the front row. And they just could not have loved me and encouraged me and supported me more than they did. And they've been that way all through the years, all through the years. I hadn't seen them in a long time. Last time I saw them was when I did a funeral for, um, I can't remember if it was her mom or her dad, uh, I traveled to Houston and did that. And I love these folks dearly. And so I got that note, and I was so... They were going to be here for a wedding. They wanted to come to church, and it was the weekend I was going to be gone. It had already been planned for months. I was going to be in Florida with Sandy. I was just heartbroken, folks. I was heartbroken as I wrote them back and said that I wasn't going to be here. And I said, but, you know, come to church if you get the chance. My son Andrew's going to be filling the pulpit that weekend, and I'd love for you to just... I love my church. I'd love for you just to experience worship here. And so they did. And I got this note in the mail um, just this last week. It said, Dear Chris, how proud you must be of your wonderful son. We were so blessed to hear Andrew preach. He came to meet us after the service and was so gracious to us. We love the church. The greeter, Tracy, that's Tracy Watson, who's just wonderful if you know who she is, was so helpful. The talented musicians, even the ushers, were so friendly and accommodating we hope to see you next year. They're planning another trip to Indy. We pray God's special blessing on you and your family. And then the last line, and every word is under, underlined. They said, we are so proud of you. Now look up here. I'm not a young man. But even at my age, that speaks life into my soul, the deepest part of who I am, because our words have the power of life. If we want to take control of our words, it's not just about what we don't say, 
but it's about what we do say. Every time we have the opportunity to speak life into somebody who is hurting, who is wounded, who is weak, who is discouraged, who is lost, who is lonely, who is questioning something about their life. And this is what the Lord would have us to do. Jesus was so good at this. That's why people were drawn to Jesus everywhere he went. Because to people who were hungry, he said, I'm the bread of life. To people who were in darkness, he said, I'm the light of the world. To people who felt trapped, he said, I am the door. To people who felt alone, he said, I am the good shepherd. To people who were afraid of death and the unknown that it brought, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. To people who were lost and confused, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you can literally go on and on and on. We need to follow the example of Jesus and take control of our words by speaking words of life. It's so easy to say something critical. It's so easy to say something negative. It's so easy to complain. But let's be different than that. Let's speak words that reveal that our hearts belong to Jesus. Words of life. That's what the Lord would have us to do. I want you to pray with me this morning.